I mean, why not? I'm just... Yeah, I, I, I mean, sure. What the heck? Why not? Why the heck? Oh, I see. I can't find my... Where is Audacity? There it is. No wonder I everything's all screwed up. I'm sorry. I've been doing live casts of Bear Country. Yeah. And because of that, I've been, I record those... Uh, directly to my streaming software. So I haven't been using Audacity very much because I tend to mix those with just as I go. And yeah. so this is a this is a different experience for me. An old man. This is probably my favorite story that we've read so far. I can't wait to talk about this one. This one was fascinating. This was fun. Yeah. Uh, are you ready to start recording? Yeah. All right. Why is this? Stop doing that. Stop it. D my recording level. Oh, oh, before I forget, your recording level yeah. has been like super low. Yeah, like, I, I keep forgetting to turn it up because I have to turn it way down to use it as a microphone. So, yeah, it was so low last time. <laughs> I had to bump it up and then use all kinds of tricks just to get the distortion. Out yeah, yeah, I, I, I've turned it up now. Great. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'm complaining because my... I keep turning my recording level down and it keeps bumping itself back up, which I don't understand. It's an audacity thing and I hate it. Um, the audacity. Right. The audacity. Are you ready to record? Yeah. All right, here we go. Three, two, one, click. 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 Oh, it's clicked. It's always clicked. It's, it's always, always clicked. clicked. We stay in a state of perpetual clickedness. Yep. We're yeah. always recording. We're always, we are, we are our own reality show. We are always recording with our brains, always listening with our ears. What are human beings if not re reality shows on two legs? I, that's kind of just, that's like what the purpose of a reality show is. I guess it is. Yeah. <laughs> it's, also the, it's also the plot of Black Mirror. <laughs> Sorry, our Black Mirror jokes passe. I have no idea. I watched like two episodes of that show and I found it really irritating. I watched about two episodes of that show, and I was like, I get it. I yeah. get it. We're all spiraling downwards. The end. I was like, I don't... This is just life. I don't need to... Yeah, I don't... Yeah. I don't need to watch it on a screen. Right. At least, there, at least like, the original, like, uh, Twilight Zone every once in a while was all, but what if tiny astronauts landed in your living yeah. room? <laughs> or what if uh, you, you thought you were ugly, but everyone else had ugly faces? What then? As opposed to Black Mirror, which is like, what if... The phones in our pockets are tracking us. <laughs> You're like, they are. Like, it's just, yeah. that's that's life. What like, if our get, lives are, yeah. I get that it's like trying to bring awareness to things, but I feel like it's, people know. <laughs> yeah, if you want to bring awareness to something, do it the old-fashioned way. Knock on doors. Don't do that. No one will answer. Knock on doors. Everyone will answer. People love unexpected door knockers. It's always some some big guy and he's all i noticed some hail damage on your roof <laughs> and i have to say thanks we already have a roofer who's coming back to replace it we're getting our roof replaced that's why i went there see whenever someone we don't know knocks on our door i have to go upstairs because i can't i get so anxious about the way that like people dismiss the people at our doors <laughs> i know that's a lie because i know you're never downstairs 
I go downstairs. <laughs> and it's always when somebody just happens to show up and it's really irritating. You fortunately have two doors between yourselves and the outside world. I only yeah. have the one. Yeah. You can just be like, I couldn't hear you rattling on the metal door. Unfortunately, our giant windows are always open. <laughs> so we can, they can just see into our house. Fortunately, you have a loud dog. So yes. you have that as an excuse too. I would open the door, but the loud dog will kill you. Actually, Andrea excuse. usually just like tells them to go away very bluntly. I just ignore them. I'm just like, no, sorry. I'm on the. I'm in the bathroom. I know you can see me, but I'm using the bathroom in my pants. That's my excuse. <laughs> I usually just leave. I'm using like, the bathroom like, in my pants. I'm. I would answer the door, but I'm full of full of doo doo. Like if I if I make eye contact with someone who's like outside my house knocking on the door i'll just turn around and walk away the the secret is if you accidentally make eye contact with the person outside the outside the window you just hold the eye contact and you don't move <laughs> just stand there making eye contact until they leave that's 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 how you survive your first day in prison as well i once answered the door to the um like what's the the census people mm -hmm. and i think i was like 20 at the time and they're like could you go get your your parents for me did you eat their liver with some fava beans and a nice chianti <laughs> no but i was like i'm i'm 20 <laughs> i can <laughs> i can i can answer your questions for you right you're like i know i look like a small but i'm really not yeah uh speaking of being afraid to answer the door and being small i'm phil and i'm willow and it's, it's Del, Toro Del Toro time. time. It's, it's Del, Del Toro, Toro time. time. I'm going to steal that from you one of these days. Going to steal what from me? The Doing that part of the intro. I think you used to do that part of the intro. Did I? I yeah, don't remember. Yeah, we've been doing this show for about 100 years, so it's yeah, hard to true. remember the early days. Uh, you know, it's still Toro time, and we are, of course, not talking about Guillermo del Toro, because who talks about Guillermo del Toro anymore? That uh, guy. I do, quite consistently, actually. <laughs> <laughs> Who cares? He, we, we've moved on to literature, and the literature we're discussing is The Dark Descent by, by David G. Hartwell. I know that you still have to look down at your book because <laughs> I still have to check on it sometimes. Even though we talk about him every episode, I'm still just like, David G. Hartwell. Yep. Um, by David G. Hartwell, collection of horror stories uh, that spans the years up until the year it was published, 1980s. Uh, and we are on the second volume of this book called The Medusa in the Shield. And what is the what are the stories in The Medusa in the Shield about? Psychological horror. And what is today's story? Three Days by... By British author... Tanith Lee. Tanith Lee. What do you know about Tanith Lee? Uh, she's an author. <laughs> she is an author, or should I say, was an author. Yeah. Now she is gray bones in a grave. Uh, I only know what it says in the little You only know box. what it says. Yeah. In the, you only know what David G. Hartwell has told you. Should I fill you in a little bit on the amazing Tanith Lee? Yes, please. Because she was amazing. She died in 2015 of cancer. Uh, but that, that she, but that, you know, not before she wrote. Oh, what's the statistic they quote? Every single thing quotes the same statistic, which is that she wrote over 300 short stories, 90 novels, I believe, to her name, uh, as well as several episodes of the British uh, show Blake's Seven. 
Um, she won World Fantasy Award, the Lambda Literary Award, British Fantasy Award, Lifetime Achievement Award from the World Fantasy Award. She was born in 1947 in England. She could not read until she was eight years old uh, because of undiagnosed dyslexia. And she was basically told, you'll just never read. But she got some help, started reading, became a prolific reader, became a prolific writer. Uh, had her first short story published when she was 21 and never looked back. And what's amazing is I was looking this up. At first, I was reading all these obituaries and I was like, we're covering a horror story, presumably. But all I'm finding is references to her, her fantasy and sci-fi. Mm-hmm. And I've actually found uh, a, an incredible... Uh, opinion piece uh, written by someone who was basically like, yeah, her horror stories have been basically forgotten about, like written out, even though she wrote tons. And a lot of that was due to opinions, say, because she had so many LGBTQ plus themes Mm -hmm. uh, that a lot of publishers were just like, ah, we don't need to keep this stuff in print. And they said one of the hardest things about being, this was at the time of her death, they said one of the hardest things about being a fan of Tanith Lee was finding Tanith Lee books to read. Even though she wrote so many hundreds of stories and novels, most of her stuff went out of print in the 90s. And mm-hmm. it's only been in recent years that it's all come into ebook. Basically, all, a lot of her stuff is now available as ebooks, but that's you know years after her death. No one to publish her in the 90s. But she wrote so many series and trilogies, fantasy stuff, urban fantasy, erotica, LGBTQ stuff, historical fiction, and horror. And uh, including what some people consider the other vampire series. Uh, There was Anne Rice's vampire series. And then Tanith Lee had a big vampire series in the 80s uh, that uh, that, you know, I'm trying to find what's the name of it. It is called it is called because I think people should check it out. The something I don't know. I'll find it. (laughs) (laughs) But in any case, um, highly influential. People were devastated by her death. She was married when she died. She left behind a husband who was an an artist. She wrote about religion. She wrote about robots. She wrote about vampires. She wrote about feminism. She wrote about sexual liberty. And in the case of this story, especially uh, personal autonomy. And and, this this story is filled with. There's like this like literature meme going around, you know, like m- men written by women. Mm-hmm. This story is filled with those characters. <laughs> but they're written by women. Yeah, men written by women. That's oh, the... for some reason it got it got turned around in my no. head. Uh, oh, and she also people are like, she was one of the masters of the gothic, uh, like mm-hmm. infusing everything she wrote with the gothic and with this sort of like heightened language. Uh, that that was mostly popular like in the early 20th century, late 19th century, but she sort of wrote in, a, in an elevated form of writing, which this story, Three Days, is a is a prime example yeah, of. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, in fact, you so prime first, an example. You read the first sentence, you're like, so this is gothic. <laughs> so wh- what, is the, what is the first sentence of said short story? The house was tall, impressive, peeling, and seemed old before its time. <laughs> <laughs> What I love about this story, Three Days. Well, first of all, uh, David G. Hartwell says he talks about her fiction being psychosexual, overtly or metaphorically. He says this is one of her lesser known stories. And oh, boy, is it ever I couldn't I could barely I found one thing about it. And it was an interview with her. And someone was like, so why would you write Three Days? And she was like, oh, 
I was interested in reincarnation. Like that's basically what like all she had to say. She was like, I was interested in reincarnation. Wanted to write a story about it. Um, but yeah, uh, David G. Hartwell says that it's one of her lesser known stories, but one of her best overtly a melodramatic romance in the historical genre with overt references to Poe, then a story of reincarnation, the occult rationalized, then undercut. Lee gives the essence of the horror story. I went over the bridge with the strangest feeling imaginable. I find no name for it even now. It seemed for a moment I had glimpsed the rickety facade of all things and the boundless, restless, terrible truth beyond, but it faded and I was glad of it. And apparently he wants us to compare it to the Joyce Carol Oates Nightside, which we haven't read yet, so we'll have to remember to compare the two. But uh, you said you liked this story. Yeah, I I loved this story. This story, it, well, it made me laugh sometimes, which was nice. And all of the characters just felt so fleshed out. Like even, uh, what's her name, Mao? Uh-huh, Meow, Meow, Mao. Yeah, uh, who, like, wasn't really, like... She was a character, mm-hmm. but she wasn't, like, one of the main characters. Even she was so real. Mm-hmm. I'm so um, happy you said that. The whole time I was reading it, I was like, I just, I want this to be a novel. Like, I yeah. want to spend time with all of these characters. Yeah. Like, they're, they're, the, the way that she wrote about the family, like, the, the ones that, like didn't even say anything. Um, the two old women who were deaf. Yeah. Uh, they just it just felt so. Like she gave she gives character to everyone. There's no like prop. And she does story. it quickly. This is not yeah. a long story. It's only like twenty pages. Yeah. This is a. It felt like I had read a novel when I was done with it. Mm-hmm. Like everyone went through such a journey up through to the end. Uh, and this is one of those stories that really strains the, de- not strains the definition, but really makes you think about the definition of horror. Yeah. Because this ain't a scary story. It made me sad. It's very sad. Yeah. But like, uh, it's, it's, it's psychological horror. If, if, yeah. if we have to pin it down, it's very much about the horror that comes from inside all of us. Cause there's no ghosts and goblins in this one. It's it's quite literally looking in a mirror or being forced to look in a mirror. Yeah. And yeah. And you could you would could be uh you know if you if you decided to approach this as there's absolutely no supernatural element to this at all, it still makes total sense. Mhm. Like cuz that's not what it's about. It's not about yeah. There's like a little kind of twist at the end like a little like button at the end mm-hmm. that that doesn't change anything it's just yeah. eh, it could be like mm-hmm. it's a it doesn't doesn't matter now but this, that would be interesting like it's just one of those stories i i really liked this story um because of the way that uh what's her name i don't know how to pronounce it her whole honorine honorine Honorine, I think. Honorine. Uh, I yeah, liked her name. her transformation a lot. Um, cutting her hair and getting earrings. And I like the way that it was described with... She didn't, like... She became... Like, she didn't... She didn't become beautiful. 
she became like confident and that right. changed everything. What I found fascinating is that Honorine, the description of Honorine, the description of all the characters initially is very much, well, I think this, is, this plays off what you were saying. Our narrator is a man. Mm-hmm. Um, and his descriptions of the characters, especially Honorine, read as if they were written by a man yeah. in the 19th, early 20th century. Mm-hmm. They follow that. Well, I'm I'm currently reading Agatha Christie. Yeah. Uh, which was, it's her, I'm reading her first novel, uh, The Curious Affair at Styles, I think it's called. And it said it, it's you know, written in the 1920s. And because I'm reading that and I'm reading this, there's so many similarities in how women are described mm-hmm. and and their value is judged based on and, and they're both written. These both stories are all written by women. Mm-hmm. Um, Tanith Lee is, of course, commenting on that. Yeah. But it really works. And like you said, it it really helps set off her transformation in the story. Yeah. It. It's just, it's just, I, I love her character development. I love, mm-hmm. I love, like, she, she becomes, like, in the span of, like, a couple of hours, she becomes our main character's confidant and gives him the advice that leads to his happiness for the rest of his life. Right. Uh, um, and happily enough, with the exception of Honorine, all the characters you want to be happy end up being happy. Yeah. Uh, uh, but a brief rundown of the plot, just so we can get over this. Right, yeah. Uh, Uh, Our main character, our narrator, uh, meets, runs into an old friend of his named Charles, who's like, hey, you got to come to my house for dinner. My father is horrible. They are not even really, like, friends, he sets up. Yeah, it's it's that old thing of, like, acquaintances. You run into an acquaintance on the street back in the day, and they'll be like, come, you must come to dinner. Yeah, and they're both authors as well. Mm-hmm. Um, both successful authors, I believe. Right, uh, right. Yeah, I think yep. Charles is more successful at the beginning of the story. Yeah, he's a and he's a popular author. Yeah, because he's also a lawyer, like a excellent lawyer, mm-hmm. um, and he writes about like old cases and stuff. Yeah, uh, he he's kind of uh, kind of as as would happen in the eighties and nineties. He's he's the I have a profession now. I am a thriller writer. Mm-hmm. Based on my profession, which I know the the yeah. the John Grishams of the world, the uh, yeah. So it's a horrible experience. Yeah, <laughs> uh, the father is verbally and emotionally abusive. Um, he there. It's it's a it's not a dinner necessarily. It's a memorial oh, right. for the death of the mother of the house. Yes. Um. His. The father is awful. <laughs> He's just awful. <laughs> There's no like. So it's so it's the it's the it's the storyteller. It's our narrator. It's his friend Charles. Mm-hmm. It's the it's Charles's brother. Shelley. Uh, yes. Uh, who's an artist, a painter. Yeah. Uh, their sister Honorine. Uh, two old women who don't speak, mm-hmm. and like various servants. Yeah. And yeah, all the father does is mercilessly berate everyone at the table, but he's good at it. 
Mm-hmm. Like there's no way to there's you have no comeback to this guy. No matter what you say, he knows all of your hopes and dreams and secrets and just tears at you constantly. Yeah. He's, he's a wretched person. Um although Charles seems less affected. Well, cuz Charles is the most he's the only success. Yeah. So he at um, least has that like He's like, hey, I, I sell every book of mine is a bestseller. And his dad's like, yeah, and they're all garbage. And he's like, and? <laughs> yeah. Okay. So, yeah. Still making money. <laughs> and he's even nasty to our narrator. Like, as yeah. soon as he sees him. he's Oh, because the narrator has this whole thing going on where he's in love with this woman, but her father doesn't approve. Because her father thinks that he's a gold digger and just yeah. wants he just wants to. Because our, our narrator isn't isn't well off. And no. this woman he's in love with is, but he is honestly in love with this woman. Yeah. Uh, um, the The first scene with the dad is brutal. Hmm. And then the second scene is awesome. <laughs> so what's the second scene? Uh, it's, so, well, before we get to that, uh, the main, like, through line of the story is Honorine has been seeing these, uh, quote, witches who run a bookshop uh, and they've been giving her like apparently some sort of hope in something. And after he leaves the house for the first time, a couple of years or a couple of months later, he runs into Shelly who sits, who invites him over. There's a whole like blah, 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 blah. But they, they talk about how Honorine has been given this like thought that she's the reincarnation of this woman in history or fictional character. Yeah, it's vague. Yeah. Um, who honestly awesome character. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I want to read the book about her yes. as well. Cause she's like a swashbuckler and a, yeah. And a, you, uh, talk to the hand. Maybe, maybe based on, uh, is it Anne Boleyn? I don't know. Is it, uh, I think it's Anne Boleyn. Anne suck it in, suck it in, suck it in, like you're in Tintin or Anne Boleyn. That's um, my my blues traveler reference for the day. <laughs> hey, I got to throw in one or two every once in a while. Uh, I don't know. I <laughs> there's a historical figure that I'm thinking of. I think it might be it might be her. Regardless, um, yeah, she's regardless. like a. She's awesome. Yeah. yeah, she's this awesome uh, woman who who don't take no guff. Yeah, and she, yeah, she's cool. Um, yeah. and this like gives, honor like Honorine genuinely believes this, and it gives her, she goes through this sort of transformation, um, and becomes a more confident, like woman, um, and all of her family except for her father knows about this. And her brothers are both like, yeah, she maybe's probably a little bit mad. Uh, but if it's doing this for her, good. Right. And she's and she is legitimately like we, we left out that when we first meet Honorine, she's they, they describe her. I believe they describe her as dumpy, mm-hmm. uh, which is a horrible thing to call anyone. But they, yeah. they say that she's a little dumpy. Uh, her hair is really thin. Like they make a lot of references to the fact that her hair is like, I guess, falling out or, or thinning really bad. She's not like there's nothing like weird about her. It's mostly her attitude. And she so has no self-esteem and her father yeah. is just constantly berating her. And she lives at the house. So she just she is a, a shell of a person when we first it's, meet her. 
yeah, it's that thing where her environment is shaping her, like, her appearance. Mm-hmm. Um, and her her self-worth and, and stuff. And you know that if she got out of that environment, she would probably flourish. Right, but she can't because she's... But she can't because she's yeah. a woman in whenever this play takes place. <laughs> right, whenever it's set. Uh, I read a review of the story. Someone wrote about it briefly. They said that they hated it. <laughs> it's the worst story they've ever read. And what they really hated about it was that it that it was set in modern times, but used really weird language. And I was like, did you not read the story? What? Like, it's clearly not set in modern. Not I at all. Like, unless I missed something, this thing isn't set in like the 80s or whatever. Definitely not. Um, But it's, yeah. So, yeah, she's she's hemmed in by the expectations of her time. Yeah. And, yeah. But so once she starts believing she's the reincarnation of this of this woman, she... Without altering too much about herself physically, mm-hmm. becomes unrecognizable, yeah. and suddenly develops the ability, unlike everyone else in the world, to snap back at her father in an effective mm-hmm. way—not with anger, but with this weird, like, acquiescence. Like, no matter what he says, she's just like, "Oh, you're so right!" Like, "Oh yeah. my God, you're right!" And he's just that's, like, Ugh. "That's how you deal with people like that." Yeah. It's just, yeah. you're just like, uh-huh, yeah, totally. Right. And and they all start sort of picking up on this from her, mm-hmm. which is just not something the father's going to, can deal with. And so he starts poking into her private life, trying to find like the one thing that he doesn't have access to that he can needle her with. And it's worth noting that like this story takes place over a period of time. Our narrator yeah. just sort of runs into these people now and then. He doesn't they're he's they're not like you said up top, they're not great friends of his. No. Uh, they're just this sort of fascinating family. He also when he hangs out with Shelley, he meets his like 16-year-old girlfriend. 17-year-old. 17-year-old girlfriend who's pregnant named Meow. Mm-hmm. Uh, who has who, a cat. Who has a cat and and who you immediately fell in love with. I love her. Yeah. She's so good because yeah. she's smart. Yeah. And she's the, she's the one who explains who, uh, what's her name? Lauren? Lee, Lee, what is her name? I couldn't tell you. I couldn't even begin to tell you. Uh, I don't know her name. Yeah, I Lucy. scrolled. Lucy. L-U-C-I-E? Yep. Yay! Yes. Uh, she's the one who tell who tells the who tells uh, Senri. What is his name? Semri. Uh, Semri and our our narrator who who Lucy is, because uh, she read this book with her sister when she when they were kids, like secretly and like played dress up and stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's just such that's just such a charming. Uh, until like, their mom found out and beat them mercilessly, which yep. I was just like I was just kind of tossed off. Yeah, I mean, but that's just. Like that's little details like that just mm-hmm. kind of make characters. Yeah, like but she's that... like yeah, she's like the quintessential artist's model from this era too. Mm-hmm. Like, cause yeah, like she's smart, she's street smart, she's a little sassy, but just sort of friendly and welcoming, and you just want to hang out at their place for a while. <laughs> yeah, and she she's she's just so good, and I love her very much. Um. um Unfortunately, the father does find out 
a secret yeah. about Honorine, which is he discovers what it is she's been starting to believe about herself. Mm-hmm. And so he does his own research into this Lucy and math is involved. Yep. <laughs> this is where I got a little bit lost for a second um, because Lucy died presumably by hanging mm-hmm. on a certain day. And the like the witches put together this timeline proving to Honorine that she's the reincarnated spirit of this Lucy. Yeah. And it all hinges on this date of death. Mm-hmm. Uh, the math doesn't work out if she doesn't die on this specific day. And the father finds out that she had actually died three days earlier, presumably. That's the yeah. story he presents to her. And he's like, so you couldn't be the reincarnation because she died three days earlier, you nitwit. Mm-hmm. And it causes Honorine to spiral back into her depression. <laughs> yeah, her everything. Yeah, and she kills herself. Yes, the poor thing uh, takes her own life. Uh, and that's terrible. Yeah. Like, it's absolutely horrible. Before she died, though, she told our narrator... He was he's been moping about his girlfriend's father not mm-hmm. wanting him to marry her and honoring at the height of her like reinvention of herself told him yeah. like, well, then elope, grab your girlfriend, get out of the house and elope mm-hmm. like you don't need to listen to her dad. If you if you love her that much, you don't need the money anyway. So yeah, elope. And after her death, he's like, I can't do anything except honor her wishes, which is. To just sort of take the bull by the horns myself and take her as an example. And he bursts into his girlfriend's house, demands she in- insists she elope with him. She agrees. They elope. And wouldn't you know it, like a month later, the father's like, fine, I won't yeah. disown my daughter. And that's after that's after he's found his own success anyways. So he wasn't going to need the money. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but the description of grief in this like the ending of this story is so good um and the way that like like semri's like situation uh with him like with him trying to destroy his canvases and almost like mm. going like not going through with the marriage um and then just being helped by a community yeah like that the way that men's emotions are treated in this story is very good. Yeah. Yeah. Like they, they don't deal with it alone because he goes, he goes into the arms of the woman that he loves and like weeps. Right. Uh, I don't know. It's just, there's just so much community in this story. Yeah. And, and you get the sense that like, her death they saw so much hope in her transformation mm-hmm. uh and then her being brought back down by the father i think they're they're grieving not only her death but the death of this possibility yeah however whereas in many a horror story or dark 
drama or gothic tale that would mark the end of their hopes and dreams he would have destroyed all of his paintings yeah their the narrator's relationship with annette would have just fallen apart instead it's kind of like her spirit keeps pushing them all forward Mm -hmm. and they pull out of it like they're changed but they they pull out of it and they continue with their lives and then our narrator actually discovers a little a little a little something something at the end yes it's the twist that doesn't really matter but it's still fascinating mm-hmm. and it's also the source of the title of the yeah of, yep. of the story which i have been wondering about the whole time um it turns out that lucy had strangled herself enough to kind of put her into a coma mm-hmm. but she wasn't dead uh she died after i believe it was uh like choking on her like death veil yeah <laughs> which is awful right but it means that she died on the proper day right she did die after three she died three days after she hung herself yeah so that makes everything line up and that doesn't change anything no uh but I like it. Yeah. Uh, he says that the conclusion my material evolved from all this is a fairly obvious one. That though Lucy had sufficiently strangled herself as to induce a kind of catalepsy, she was not dead and did not die until the injury of a mainly collapsed windpipe was augmented by the disadvantages of the grave. Not the material, but I myself venture to suggest she could not in this state have lingered very much longer. No doubt only until the morning of the 8th of April. And that's just, that's how it ends. And yeah. it's like Tanith Lee just sort of leaves you like sort of going like, dang it. <laughs> like if only they'd noticed that sooner, but they didn't. Yeah. It's, it's a story with a positive ending, but the horror of the situation lingers. Yeah. Like it's, you're left like feeling uplifted, but also you're like, but this woman still killed herself because of her father's abuse. Right. And the father doesn't get punished. No. Uh, he stays the same until he dies. Yeah. He's just um, a jerk. Yeah. Uh, what does it say about him? Uh, well, uh... I will say that the descriptions of what happened to Lucy after her death is pretty horrifying. Uh, or after her hanging because they keep yeah. they keep noticing that like the the like the veil they've put over her has moved and stuff but they never her see her twitches, moving yeah yeah it's just like is like, oh it, no yeah but this is in an era when like you it's hard to prove death mm-hmm. um so yeah did you ever find out what happened to the dad uh no uh he was just a jerk <laughs> he was uh, just a jerk yeah um, Charles uh, yeah. Charles went to a monastery. <laughs> That's right. He gave up writing. Yeah. He did give up writing. Uh which is fine. He's probably living got got plenty of uh of earnings afterwards. His books were popular enough. It'd be yeah. like if John Grisham was like, I'm just gonna become a monk. Yep. Uh yeah, he he left the bar. Uh, his elegant and carefree wit, which had long deserted him, began to return in strange li- in a strange little lay community attached to a monastery of the Languedoc. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
he yeah not a sad ending for him just no different uh yeah um yeah oh yeah and uh honorine died by swallowing rat poison which is horrible which is awful yeah by the way that's an yes. awful way to die uh yeah um but in any case that's uh that's three days a story so when i read this story i finished it and i thought mm-hmm. to myself willow is either going to hate this story more than anything we've ever read <laughs> or she's going to love loved this story yeah but there's no middle ground there's no I, middle ground because on in one hand it's very sad mm-hmm. and not oh not scary no just horrific in its own sense uh but also well written with great mm-hmm. characters very gothic and uh very human it's a very yeah. hu- and it loves its characters i think i think tenneth lee people said in all the all the things i read about her after uh in her all of her obituaries they were like she was famous for even if she was writing a story about a demon mm-hmm. like uh, like the about the devil himself she would Find a way to sympathize with that character and make you care, which only makes me want to read more of her stuff. Yeah, I'm but like, also oh. not the dad in this one. <laughs> not the dad. Yeah, the, he, he's he said if there's if any of the characters don't aren't well rounded, it's definitely the dad. Yeah, uh, but we don't um, need him to be. It's a short story. I mean, even Annette and her parents our characters and they're mm-hmm. not they're only in it for like three lines <laughs> right you still get a sense of who they are yeah um like, i love I annette's thought... mom what i love annette's mom oh because uh, annette's right. annette's mom is like uh anyways husband they're gonna be in that room now and you're not gonna disturb them <laughs> yep and you're gonna let them run off mm-hmm. and uh we will not be disowning our daughter ultimately yeah yep. and uh yeah and even the dad like him having the change of heart and that all coming together. Yeah, I just, I thought that he was going to like end up falling in love with Honorine or something. Like That's what I was worried about. (laughs) Because they developed this like really strong connection. But instead Mm -hmm. he's like, no, I love Annette and Honorine's just kind of like my my wingman at this point. (laughs) Yeah. Here to cheer me on. And yeah, the the big shame, of course, is what happens to her. Mm -hmm. But what a a great story. If this story had ended in the way that this story would have probably been ended by most other authors, I wouldn't have liked it. Yeah. If this story had ended with everyone just being sad, I would have been like, well, that sucked. Yeah. Yeah. And instead it didn't sucked. <laughs> yeah. Um, th- I find a lot of, a lot of horror and um, dramas fall into the trap of ending on a down downer. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um, and I'm like, I get it. Like, I get, I get it. But also, there, you, that's not cathartic. It, it, over and over and over again, watching everyone fail and fall into <laughs> right. despair at the end, it stops, it stops being cathartic. Well, and stop, also, I, stop I, listening to Aristotle, it, please. <laughs> and there's that tendency to associate, and, and I, and this isn't like wrong. Mm-hmm. But it, I think there's a tendency for some a lot of a lot of horror readers to associate nihilism with horror. Like, yeah. you you have to prove at the end that nothing was worth it, mm-hmm. that everyone will end poorly and nothing's worth it in order for it to truly be horrific. 
Yeah. And I, of course, strongly push back against that idea. Mm-hmm. I, I uh, T. Kingfisher's horror novels are are the least nihilistic things in the world, and they're horrifying. But yeah. there's this strain of optimism through the whole thing. Like and her 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 narrators are like, nope, just gonna keep plugging away because life is weird and we just got to figure this stuff out. Mm-hmm. So uh, yeah, I, I I really appreciated reading this, especially after our last story. After reading a story about two stories in which. The focus of the story, the character who isn't, who's the who's the focus of the story, mm-hmm. dies at the end. Yeah. This one, however, on a much more up note than the Rocking yeah. Horse winner. Um, no this this is the kind of horror story that I really like, uh, because I truly believe that people deserve to be happy. Yeah. And it's nice to read about it happening. Yeah. Like, there's so much in horror that's really, like, even if you make a mistake, you got to deal with the repercussions of your actions. Like, that's, like, oh, you accidentally unleashed a ghost? Sucks uh, for you. You're going to die. Yeah. And I'm like, but. And you say this as someone who loves the Grudge series. Yes, I love the Grudge series. (laughs) It's one of my favorites. Um. I think it's the way that American horror does it is so much different Mm. in the way that it feels because the grudge truly feels like, like nobody is at fault except for the person who killed the woman. Right. In American horror, they consistently blame everyone for making a mistake that's that or it's, for falling into a trap it's the slasher thing where yeah. eventually with slashers it came to we want to punish these people even yeah. though they're not really at fault you want to root against them yeah and i think american horror tends to be like uh we're not gonna waste time having you sympathize with these people it's easier just to have a bunch of jerks who you want to see bad things happen to yeah, and I don't like that. <laughs> yes, well, it, it gets really old really fast. Yeah. Like, even um, even the Grudge series, the Zhuan series in Japan, mm-hmm. uh, eventually falls into that trap. Uh, yeah. As it goes on way too long. Mm-hmm. Uh, you just start you start meeting people just for the sake of bad things to happen to them. Yeah, uh, and I, I just, I... I read a lot of horror when I was younger. Um, I still read a lot of horror. I was going to say. But I think, I truly believe that it fed into my own beliefs of nihil- like nihilism and, and that stuff. And just, like, made everything seem so much more dour. Mm. Um, like, and again, I love horror and I highly recommend reading horror. But I do think that there's there's this sort of pull towards it. Uh, it didn't challenge me in a way. It it didn't challenge my thinking. It just reinforced what I already thought. Mm-hmm. Uh, in a negative way. <laughs> yeah. Well, um, I think part so, of this is you growing up too. Yeah, yeah. Um. So be, just but being able to read stories like this, I think would have 
impacted me differently. Oh, I'm glad that you got to read a story like this. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. Sorry for my tangent on. <laughs> Never apologize. Ever for anything. That's the rule. Uh, that's that's our that's our rule here. <laughs> Never apologize. Never apologize. Uh, I didn't mention that this story uh, originally appeared in 1984 in the collection Shadows Seven, uh, Charles L. Grant anthology, his seventh Shadows uh, anthology, featuring stories by Ramsey Campbell and Dennis Etchison and some of our some of our favorites. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it appeared in this in '87. Uh, and in Nightshade's 13 Journeys into Shadow, a Tanith Lee collection in 93. Uh, again, one of her lesser known stories. But, but a very good one. But a very good one. Highly recommend checking it mm-hmm. out uh, in one of those collections. But Willow, what is the next story in The Medusa in the Shield? Good Country People by Flannery O'Connor. We're just having woman after woman right now. Flannery? Yeah. That's, okay. Uh, <laughs> I didn't have anything I don't know else what there. you expected me to say to that. <laughs> what are you? Oh, one of her short stories has has the N word in the title. I'm not. Gonna, I was just looking at a list of her short stories. Uh, she is an ironist in the Southern tradition. Oh yeah. Oh really? Oh yes. Uh, we actually do love ourselves some Flannery O'Connor. Um, I love Southern Gothic. It's uh, one of my favorite genres of all time. Yes. And Apparently, it forms an interesting couplet with Robert Aikman's The Swords. I remember The Swords. It was about yeah. that person who come to the sideshow and stick swords in this lady, I remember, yeah. if I remember correctly. Yep. That was a rough one. Oh, yeah. It was the first story in the Medusa in the Shield. Yeah. Who boy. <laughs> hmm, I can't wait to read Good Country People. Flannery O'Connor. Yeah. Two women authors in a row. What is this world coming to? And just a couple of stories ago, we read a we read "My Dear Emily" by uh, Joanna mm-hmm. Russ. What is this, Ladyland? <laughs> to be fair, women do have a lot of a lot of psychological horror. Yeah, you think? <laughs> it would be. I mean, I still don't think there's enough women. <laughs> right. It's almost as if women have a lot to be psychologically horrored about. <laughs> True. Yeah, oh, yeah, because we had Charlotte Perkins Gilman in this one too. Mm-hmm. Wow. Uh, uh, call us progressive because we're reading this one book. <laughs> hey, after this, I have that whole book of history. Like historical I know. Don't worry. Horror. Don't worry, folks. Like we said before, when we're done with the dark descent, when Willow is like in her fourth year of grad school or whatever, <laughs> when we're done with the dark descent, we will be intentionally covering uh, and we'll be done with the dark descent before you know it, because we are going to stick with it. Yeah, and we also have to finish our movies, of course. Of course, one day we'll finish a movie. We'll watch some more movies. Don't worry. <laughs> We're allowed to do whatever we want. Remember, this is this is El Toro time. No apologies. And no Fs given. No Fs given. Uh, so until next time, when we give some Fs about the biggest F herself, Flannery O'Connor... <laughs> How do you think she would have felt about being referred to as the biggest F? I don't know. I haven't read her story yet. I guess we'll find out. We'll find out. I am Phil. And I'm Willow. And we'll see you when it's It's Del Toro Toro time. time. Goodbye.